0: Congregation, please rise. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, Amen. The word of the Lord, which I would lay upon your hearts this afternoon, comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So far, God's holy word. Congregation may be seated. In the name of our Lord Jesus, who ascended to the right hand of his father 2,000 years ago, and yet, according to his limitless power and love, deigns to dwell with us here today. Dear friends in Christ, what's the best part? If you've been a parent, or if you have been a child at one point, you probably remember the family driving home from the movie theater and mom and dad asking, well, what was the best part? What was your favorite part of the movie? Even as adults, we go and see movies and can talk for hours and hours about what the best part of the new movie was. The scene that makes you think that everything's going great and then tears your heart out in a sudden moment of unexpected tragedy. The triumphant hero redeeming himself by finally facing up to his fears And courageously standing up to the villain the star-struck couple who has a big fight but finds their way back to one another in the end running through the rain probably towards each other accompanied by the swell of violins everyone has a favorite part it seems in our text for today we certainly have a description that dwarfs even the greatest imax productions. Well, it's recorded for us in scripture, we can be sure that the words that the prophet Isaiah wrote down for us today fall far short of really capturing the essence of Isaiah's throne room vision. I'll ask you, what do you think the best part was? Perhaps it was the Lord sitting on his heavenly throne in light and power and the train of his robe, the hem, the bottom, filling the temple with glory and light. Perhaps it was the seraphim, God's angel messengers resounding the thunderous chorus, holy, holy, holy. Perhaps it was tiny Isaiah, who dramatically and appropriately cries out in despair at the sight. Now they say, Everyone is entitled to their opinion, but if you're asking the question, what was the best part, I don't think that that saying applies here. We can take joy as we come before God's word today and his sacrament of the altar when we consider the theme, what we know to be true, the greatest aspect of God's glory is the gospel both as it is revealed to us this morning through isaiah's vision and as it is revealed to us in the lord's supper may the spirit bless our meditation today have you experienced that horrible sinking sensation when you know you're in the wrong place maybe when you were in school you walked into the wrong classroom and saw all of the students suddenly look to you and you had to sheepishly excuse yourself, maybe you walked into the wrong restroom. Now, if you take that fear and you multiply that by a million or even a billion, you might maybe be in the ballpark of how the prophet Isaiah was feeling in our text. Now, the prophet doesn't tell us whether the Lord appeared to him in a dream, as he did very often to many of his prophets and apostles, or if Isaiah was awake when he saw this vision. Only that abruptly, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah came face to face with the vision of the Almighty God. The God of creation towered over this lowly prophet so that that train, the hem, that that bottom part of his robes, they filled the temple. Now, Jerusalem was on a hill, and the temple was at the very tippy top of that hill, and even so, the Lord in his glory high above it was so high above it that only the bottom part of his robes came down to fill the place of worship. Above the temple stood seraphim, a certain six-winged type of angel, covering their faces and covering their feet with uh, four of those wings and flying with the other two And then, far, far below that heavenly scene, stood sinful Isaiah. And he immediately recognized the situation that he was in. He cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah here is literally resigning himself to death when we read this in our personal devotions we might read it kind of monotonously i I tried to inject a little bit of life into it as i read it just now but even so it falls far short of the desperation that isaiah surely utilized in crying this out he was certain that he was about to die because he knew that this was no place For a mere man who had disobeyed God and deserved only his wrath and punishment. Does that last part sound familiar at all? Last few words? Not today, but sometimes in our liturgy, we will start out our service with confession and absolution that goes like this. We have come into the presence of God who created us to love and serve him as his dear children. But we have disobeyed him and deserve only his wrath and punishment." And we tend to drone along with that like a bunch of robots, repeating the same thing we've said and heard a million times, without really stopping to think about what those words actually mean. Because when we say that we come into the presence of God, we are realizing and confessing that we're in the exact same situation that Isaiah finds himself in today, aren't we? But no one ever screams at that point in the service or breaks down crying or resigns themselves to death. Why is that? Sinners cannot stand in the presence of the holy God. He tells us as much in his word. David asks in Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Doesn't sound like me. Does it sound like you? Are you righteous and without sin? If you've ever been angry, Jesus says you're a murderer. If you've ever had a lustful thought, Jesus says that you are an adulterer. If you've ever coveted, cursed, disobeyed, loved money then you are not righteous. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. But this vision of Isaiah takes place at the beginning of his ministry. He knew he was a sinner. He was certain that he was about to get smote by God's righteous justice. And then he wasn't. Instead, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. What a simple act. What a merciful act. What a powerful proclamation. All of the different aspects of God's glory here pictured, and this is far and away the greatest of them. God reveals in Isaiah's vision the greatest aspect of his glory to be the gospel the one-sided act of God coming to sinful man and cleansing him of all of his sinful uncleanness. It's an answer to Isaiah's very specific fear here in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the Lord sends an angel with a coal from the altar to touch the prophet's lips and proclaims him clean and righteous." Now you may be thinking, where's my coal? I too am a man or a woman of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Has my sin been purged as well? And the glad answer to that is yes, it has. You see, the coal was taken from the altar where the Old Testament people would offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. The altar was a reminder for the people to look ahead to the coming of the promised Messiah. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is why we don't break down crying or lose our minds or explode every time we start a service with the words, we have come into the presence of God. The same way that Isaiah was permitted to stand in the presence of holy God, Jehovah, was on account of that cleansing work of God, and that is the same reason that we, are able to stand in the presence of God here because of God's cleansing of us in Christ. Jesus kept himself pure and clean from all sin and then offered up that perfection on the altar of the cross to pay for our iniquities. For Jesus' sake, we can and do stand in the presence of our God with joy and expectation not with fear and trembling. And we do stand in the presence of God today in more ways than one, because today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In this sacrament, Christ's true body and blood are present and received for the full remission of all of your sins. Think about that for a second. We are receiving the very body and blood of God, the Son of God. Does that intimidate you? Does that frighten you? Does it make you want to get out as fast as you can because you are a sinner who has no business partaking of Christ's flesh and blood? It shouldn't. Not for a soul that, by faith from the Spirit, confesses their sins, as we did at the beginning of the service, and calls on the name of our Lord for pardon, grace, and mercy. This is the greatest aspect of God's glory revealed to us in the Lord's Supper as well, which is sometimes called the visible gospel. Here Jesus deigns to dwell with us and invites all who hold fast to the confession of his word to come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Sin-sick, weak, and unclean, we cast ourselves upon his mercy, his blood, his righteousness, and we find what we so desperately seek and need—pardon, peace, and life eternal. As the people of God who have received the forgiveness of the cross and who will, in a few minutes, partake of Christ's body and blood for our forgiveness— we are emboldened to answer the call that the Lord extends to his redeemed. Verse 8 of our text, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. As God's prophet, Isaiah willingly served the Lord, fearlessly doing as the Spirit directed him. Yes, Isaiah preached a lot of law. You can read through the entire book of Isaiah and see that. But he did so to bring Israel to repentance so that he then might preach the gospel, which gospel message certainly predominates the book of Isaiah. We read in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. It's our privilege to carry this message as well, just as Isaiah did. We can tell others that the God we flee from by nature whether in fear or anger or ignorance, that same God has extended to them and to us the cleansing coal of his only begotten Son. Our Prince of Peace was smitten and afflicted in order to exchange our scarlet rags for the shining white robes of Christ's righteousness. And so we know that he is truly present here in word and sacrament, both giving healing for our souls and the promise of a heavenly inheritance. You know, it's a little strange, maybe, when you think about it. No one goes home from church and asks their children or their spouse, what was your favorite part? What was the best part? If we look at the superficial formation of a worship service, of our worship service today, you might go and say, well, the hymns were my favorite part or the sermon was the best part, or the prayers were the best part, or the sacrament was the best part. But we all know what the best part of this worship service and every worship service conducted in Christ's name is. The best part, the greatest aspect of God's glory is, of course, the gospel. The Spirit caused Isaiah to record this for us so that we could see how God cleansed and forgave freely a wretched sinner like him. And Christ instituted the Lord's Supper so that we might see how God cleanses and forgives a wretched sinner like me. May our Lord of glory bring us joy as we come before him today in word and sacrament, May our faith be strengthened in that joy of salvation which Christ has surely brought to us here. Lord of glory, who has bought us with thy lifeblood as the price, never grudging for the lost ones that tremendous sacrifice, and with that hast freely given blessings countless as the sand to the unthankful and the evil with thine own unsparing hand. In Jesus' saving name, amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.